Good morning. Uh, as has always been the tradition of the church, we have public reading of the scripture. We hear God's word. It's meant to be heard. And we're going to process. Uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. Now I'm in chapter 1, starting with verse 19. <clears throat> for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Amen. It's interesting, uh, the church... This letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be sort of unpacking this. And, and what was interesting in this church setting is that Paul's typical habit of behavior was to go into, if you read in Acts, as he's going around sort of proselytizing, teaching the faith, pointing people to Christ, his habit was to first go to the synagogue. And he'd go to the synagogue because that's where people that had some semblance of faith, some understanding of the Father would gather and he would teach them the word and point them to Christ so that the church of Christ could grow. But in Philippi, something unique happened. Paul didn't go to the synagogue. He went to the outer skirts of the city where there was some water and, and a group of women were there gathered, uh, maybe doing some chores, talk, talking, hanging out. But among these women was a woman by the name of Lydia. And as Paul was there teaching, doing his Bible study, doing prayer, Lydia overhears the thing that Paul is saying about Christ. And she's moved by the Holy Spirit to faith. And immediately it says in the text that she, she in faith had her whole entire household baptized because of what Paul was teaching. And this is really unique. I mean, just, just to be honest... This is unique for the church because uh, this church got established by a woman in many ways, hearing from Paul, not by a man. And not only that, but Lydia was a successful businesswoman, so she was wealthy. And so likely this church not only got started by a woman, but it was probably funded, the service, the work that they did was probably largely funded by Lydia at the very beginning as people came to the faith. And this church just grew and flourished. But this church was just like all early churches. It wasn't without its challenge and difficulty. 
As Paul talked about what I just read, I mean, there was opponents willing to challenge their faith, and he, he tells them not to be fearful. And, and the reason why they'd be fearful is to, to be a Christian, to sign up and become part of the Christian church, is to put yourself on the fringe on the outside of the prevailing culture and be seen as a little bit suspect and odd. It might be much like how we view the Amish in some ways. People just, they're, they're intrigued, they're curious, but they're not sure they want to sign up for this life. And not only that, but some of the things they said and did put them not only in a place where they were outside mainstream culture, but it put them potentially in harm's way. It put them in a place of, of threat, a place where people might want to kill them for what they believed. I mean, to understand this, Rome was the, the domineering empire, and the emperor of Rome was not only king, but he was viewed as a god. And even for what Lydia did to have her whole household baptized, the, the, the liturgy of baptism, the call to us in baptism... And especially in Rome, it was a pledge allegiance against the state. It was a pledge allegiance to God the Father and to Christ, not to Rome and the emperor. And so it stood that it was a form of treason even as they sort of moved against the prevailing dominant culture. And so there was fear. And there was anxiety wrapped up into this faith. And this is nothing new. This is not something that just happened with the church in Philippi and with Paul. This was happening back when Jesus was preaching and teaching. He was challenging people, and as he was challenging them, he was calling out all the problems with the prevailing practice of faith and and the prevailing practice of the powers that be. And as Jesus got closer and closer to his death, the disciples' anxiety was going up and up because they knew something was up. And they didn't know what it meant for them. And they needed to be comforted and encouraged like Paul comforts and encourages us and the Philippians in this letter. And so Jesus tells them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is Jesus saying to his early disciples that guess what? Even though I am the God of peace and of life and all these things we've talked about, all these things you witness, there's still going to be trouble in the world, but do not be afraid. Be at peace because I've overcome it. And the same words are echoed in what Paul says to the church in Philippi. And as we gather here this morning, I can't help but think that there's still this heightened fear at times for us when it comes to faith and when it comes to culture. And I think in the midst of all this, we lose our peace or we forget that Jesus has it already. I mean, just think about fear. Think about anxiety. There's a couple things about fear. It's either it's perceived or it's uh, manipulated in some way. Like we, we perceive fear. We're sort of in tune, anticipating it. And so sometimes we perceive things that we become afraid of or fearful of that are not true. It's just exaggerated or in our heads. But it's not actually what's happening. 
But many times, actually, our fears are manipulated or we're manipulated. And we know this is true in our culture. Like, they learned very, very quickly, like on the news cycle and in television and then on things we read, how do they keep you reading? How do they keep you engaged? Well, they, they tap into some core motivators of what it means to be human. They want to make you afraid, afraid of what's happening, afraid of what somebody else is doing, want to point out to you a potential threat so you lean in and listen. I mean, fear is something at our core that motivates us. The other thing that at our core motivates us is sex. So, so a lot of times on TV and in news, what are they trying to do? They're trying to make you afraid or they're trying to turn you on just to, to keep you in line and focused and paying attention. And sometimes in the church, this can happen too. I'm talking about fear, <laughs> not turning you on. Um, gosh, that's awkward. Sorry. <laughs> this is what happens when I don't have a confidence monitor. I go off script. Um, but it, sometimes people ask me, like, why don't, why don't you preach on a revelation? Or, or why in the pulpit do you not talk about hell more? And, and the, the reason why is because I, I don't want to manipulate people. I mean, hell does not save. Christ does. And so if I focus on hell and the end of the world, what am I doing? I'm making you afraid. I'm manipulating you into some sort of faith. But fear is not faith. Hope is. And so we have hope in the promise of Christ. We are not to be afraid. And so we want to be mindful of this, this perception and manipulation Because there are real things in this world to fear, things that can happen. I mean, some very real potential fears is death. I mean, people do fear death. It's a real thing. Or loss, losing a friend or a loved one or some valued possession or sickness. I mean, no one... No one wants to get the phone call from the doctor in the afternoon with a bad diagnosis. This is why I think a lot of men don't like going to the doctor. Like, I, you don't want to find out something's wrong. You'd rather not. Because we fear it. We're afraid. Not only are there like real fears or manipulated fears, but there's other psychological things too. Like we're afraid of failure, messing up. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of missing out. And for their early Christian followers, like all these things are being triggered. Are are they being manipulated? Is their fear of death, are they going to lose something? Are they going to be rejected by their families? I mean, Jesus even said, you know, who who are my disciples? Is it your, are your, who, who belongs to the family of Christ? Is it your mother, your brothers, your sisters? No, it's those who are baptized into me, who are part of me. I am your family. Because when people would come to the faith, families would reject them because it was weird to become a Christian. Became part of the gossip in the family. Families fell apart. You were no longer invited into the inner circles. You weren't invited to the fancy party because you're a Christian. That's weird. We don't want you around. So all these things are wrapped up into the life of the early church, but also really in our life too. 
We respond out of fear and anxiety to so many things in this world. There's only a few responses that we can have to fear and anxiety. It's, you know, you've heard it before, it's probably, it's we fight. We fight against the thing we're afraid of. We make it the enemy. We rally people up. We boycott it. We overturn it. We want to retake control because we fear not being in control. Or we flight. As we insulate ourselves from the outside world, we, we pull our kids out of public school and homeschool so they don't get exposed to things. We, we only listen to Christian music, even if it's terrible, and watch Christian movies, right? We just kind of pretend that the world isn't happening. And this fight or this flight is neither one's actually very faithful. It's not what Christ is actually calling us into. He's not calling us to fight against people in this world. He's not calling us to flee and insulate ourselves from it either. What he calls us to do is what he says in Matthew 16, which is to take up your cross and follow me. And to take up the cross of Christ and follow him means that we're going to take risks. There are going to be things that are fearful to do that maybe sometimes create anxiety. To take up the cross actually is in a way to say you're willing to die to follow him, which is not a good way to get more people to follow you. But it's an invitation into something else. Dying, literally, and dying to yourself, meaning giving it up. Stop trying to control. To take up the cross and follow Christ is a risky, risky practice because what it means then are some of the other things that Christ taught in Scripture. It means that we have to clothe the naked or visit the prisoner care for the sick, or welcome the stranger, or feed the hungry, or love your enemy, as they talked about in the Sunday school this morning that Pastor Anthony taught. It means something wholly different than what we experience in this world. And as we engage in these things, our fight or flight responses are going to be triggered, but they don't have to be. And this is where Paul really paints a wonderful picture. Paul does something totally different. He doesn't fight. He doesn't encourage his followers to take up arms any more than Jesus did. He doesn't flee from things either. He does something totally different because he understands who Jesus is and he knows what's going on. In Philippians 19 and 21 this one's full of typos, if I remember. So, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with the full course now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
That is, let me get this. This is how infuriating this is. Paul knew the risk of being a follower of Christ, but he also knew the hope of being a follower of Christ. And so he basically was saying to people, hey, listen, if I get to live, I get to embody and soul, love other people, produce good fruit and point other people to Christ. This is such a good thing. Praise be to God. I'm so glad I'm alive and living. And then he says, if you're going to kill me, well, to die is gain. And why is it gain? Because if you come at me, if you kill me, guess what I get to do? I get to be with Jesus. I get to live with him. I get to be a part of eternity and ultimately the new creation. I am the resurrection and life in and through Christ. And so you couldn't do anything to Paul. He was untouchable, infuriatingly so. He wasn't going to get mad at you. He wasn't going to flee from you. He was going to say, here's who Jesus is. And if you let me live, I get to keep proclaiming. And if you're going to kill me, praise God. There's nothing that could be done because of the hope that he had in Jesus. Paul knew that out of everything in the world to be feared, culture, governing authorities, man, was not who to fear. It was God. And God alone. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That is, he had an appropriate fear and love for God the Father. He, He feared the one who with his voice could create life and with his voice can destroy life. He understood ultimately in this world his only hope of salvation and deliverance was going to be through Christ. And so he had proper fear. Not a life of no fear, but a life of proper fear and love. What I mean by this is that I don't want to say that we should live like these fearless lives and do foolish things. Like if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, it's not an invitation to jump. We should, we should be afraid. If you find yourself being chased by a lion, you should run. <laughs> you should be afraid. This is, these are healthy fears, Right? But know know where the real risk is. Don't be manipulated and don't be misled. Understand where Christ is calling. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, when Christ calls man, he bids him to come and to die. And that death is not just an invitation to potentially a physical death. But for most of us, it's an invitation to die to whatever it is that we're afraid of that's keeping us from the hope of Christ. Belonging, connection, acceptance, whatever it is. Probably one of the biggest examples of this in the Old Testament that came to mind when I was thinking about this call is, is uh, Daniel in Babylon. 
Babylon had invaded Israel and they, they led them back into the country and Daniel was one of the followers of Yahweh and he finds himself before the king and the king commands Daniel and everyone there to bow down and worship him and Daniel refuses to. He's not afraid. And at the same time, Daniel doesn't tell, to all, tell all of his buddies, hey, let's take up arms and form an army and overthrow this godless king. What Daniel ends up doing and God ends up blessing him for this is where he can love the ruler and the authority that is Babylon, he did. And where he couldn't because it would mean turning away from God, he did not. He didn't fear. He had hope. And the the prophet Jeremiah speaks about this too. The prophet Jeremiah was speaking to those in captivity in Babylon and he says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. That is, even as you're in captivity, even as you face death, guess what? I have plans for you. I have hope for you. This isn't a Bible verse for people graduating high school. This is a Bible verse for people in captivity and fear of death. for people who find themselves in Babylon. That no matter what we suffer in this world, whatever thing that we're told to be afraid of, we have hope. Because in Christ there is a plan. Hope is not just for the future, but for now. Right? This is why Paul can say, Yea, if I live, and yea, if I die, because no matter what, there's hope. And so we trust in God's promises, not just for what's beyond the grave, but for us now, because otherwise, it's just an insurance policy. Like, if all you're worried about is what happens after you die, then it's just an insurance policy. It's about you now, with Christ. And the hope is in the vulnerable love of Christ, of Jesus. Jesus was vulnerable. He had all authority, power, and dominion to totally overthrow everything and take charge, but he didn't. He, he told Peter to put away the sword, and in peace, he went to the cross and died. He, he was incredibly exposed to the point of death, even though he was the Son of God. It's that vulnerable love, that love that has risks that we are invited into. Because that hope, that love is risky. For us to follow Jesus in that way means we're invited into that vulnerable love as well. Which means people will hurt us. We will struggle. There will be loss and we will feel left out. Because God does not prevent evil and suffering, but he provides a way through it, and he ultimately redeems it. Because of hope. And Paul summarizes this reality really well in the letter to the Romans. He says, And we know all things 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Sounds a lot like Jeremiah, right? That is, all of us have been called to come take up our cross and follow. And that cross might be suffering, it might be loss, it might be pain, but God will work out good for all of us who love him. There's nothing to fear. There's no reason to be anxious. Because you're called. And you belong to him. It's in Jesus' name.